welcome to another episode of the Sustainability Issue Podcast. I'm Desi, your host, and today we're talking about model activism. I have Janice Zommer with me. Janice is a model, podcast host, a sustainability activist, and a sustainable business growth strategist. She's half German, half Singaporean, and has a master's in international relations and economics from the University of St. Andrews. After a few years of corporate finance life, she completely switched careers to start working creatively as a model, podcaster, and in the field of social entrepreneurship. She's passionate about finding smart solutions to help make the world of fashion more sustainable. In order to explore these topics, she founded and is the host of the podcast and blog in Conscious Conversation. And is part of Model Mafia, an organization that fights for a fairer, safer and more inclusive fashion industry. Welcome, Janice. Hi, thank you for having me. Janice, um, I like to start with stories and I'd love you to tell us about your story. Where did your journey begin and how did you get into the fashion and sustainability? Okay, sure. I mean, you already gave a super helpful intro, but basically, um, yeah, after university, I was working in finance and kind of fundraising. Um, it was still related to my degree in international relations because it was kind of dealing with macroeconomics, but I was fundraising for a hedge fund. So there was always some kind of a storytelling aspect involved. I also... Um, briefly worked for an NGO um, and also in communications consulting. So I think the the pair, like the um, theme that has run through most of this is that I've always enjoyed telling stories in whichever way. And then at some point, I kind of felt that, especially in the last job that I, like the last corporate job that I had, which was communications consulting, it felt um, just because of the project that I was working on, it, it was kind of um, not the industries that I was passionate about. So I left and I was going to get into directly finance in the sense of social impact investing. I wanted to do communications and fundraising there. Um, but I decided to kind of take it slow. And while I was slowly preparing for interviews and jobs, I um, started working just on the side for a social media marketing company. And one of the investors in this company was actually um, the founder of a modeling agency. So basically I ended up being asked by this um, agency to join and start modeling. And I literally initially thought that this was just going to be something I would do for a few months until I have my next job. And then I realized that I actually really loved it and it's fun and just meet so many more interesting, creative people. I mean, not only um, on the client jobs, but especially on the editorials and test shoots, really working with photographers and stylists, makeup artists, and just people who are also telling a story, but they're telling it with pictures. So that was very, very interesting. Um, and I've kind of, stuck with it so it's been just over two and a half years now that I started modeling I started off with an agency in Munich um, then I moved to London got an agency here and it's been just a really amazing experience in terms of um, clients I've been extremely fortunate that I've had quite a lot of um, relatively bigger jobs I think um, considering that it's been only two and a half years I've also been very lucky that I have been able to start modeling at this age since most of the time I started at 27. Most of the time the career of a model is kind of approaching the end or already done. So um, I've been very lucky. And I kind of fell into the sustainability space by coincidence. So I was fortunate to join as I started modeling this amazing group of models called Model Activists, Model Mafia. They were uh, started in New York in 2016, 
run by two amazing women, um, Anya Campbell and Cameron Russell. And it kind of is a community for models who care about changing the industry from the inside. So not only in terms of the modeling side, models rights in a way, because there is a lot of things that are wrong with the industry and the power structures there, but also changing the industry, the fashion industry um, from the inside, because I mean, I wasn't aware, I only became aware later that the fashion industry is one of the really most environmentally damaging industries on the planet. And it's just such a huge industry. Um, and these are all models who want to make a difference and change that and use this special position that we have as models to really make um, a change and use our platforms and social media for a good cause. Um, so I helped bring this group to London because previously they were focused in New York and we, you know, started growing a community here. Obviously COVID kind of um, put a bit of a hold on in-person activities, which is such a pity. Um, but we've kind of tried to continue and I'm sure once things open up again, we will. And at the same time, I, my personal sustainability journey kind of grew just by educating myself through some experiences with modeling, but then also through just learning and reading and watching films and doing online courses. I just kind of really informed myself more and more. And then to kind of tie the string back to the storytelling, I decided that I want to tell the stories of people who are really doing something very um, interesting and new and innovative as founders of fashion brands. So I started a podcast similar to yours, where I interview people who are really trying to make a change. And currently these are all um, women actually. So I had this great moment yesterday for International Women's Day, where I realized that actually all of my podcast guests in the first season are women. And they're all women that I know and I admire so much because they're doing some very, very interesting, cool stuff. So I haven't published all of the episodes yet, but I have recorded them and I have just kind of made a little Instagram post in which I showed all of these women so people know what they can look forward to. And they're all women. It's just very <laughs> That's cool. amazing. <laughs> it's cool. It's so cool. I sometimes feel like can we get some men into this conversation as well because it really seems that women are leading the conversation in this space but then again it's more important to focus on driving the change and eventually we're gonna get more and more people into it so yeah yeah but there are some men as well I just actually at the moment I really appreciate working with women just yeah. because I used to work a very male dominated industries Oh. And um, I think women have a different approach, kind of a more, I mean, it's a cliched way to describe women, but in a more nurturing sense, you're like trying to make something really sustainable because you care about making the industry and the whole world prepared for the next generation. And I mean, the ability to produce a child and be there for the next generation is obviously it takes two, but the women is so, so involved. And um, yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's why I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree, agree more. Yeah, I think we women do have a more nurturing a more empathetic approach towards business as well, in a way. So mm. approach things in a more holistic perspective. I mean, I don't like generalizing usually but yeah i think definitely there is a there is yeah and i think it's i mean it obviously needs it shouldn't be all women it should be a mixture it should be diversity and i really do believe like genuinely that in a diverse context we can just achieve much more and different mindsets and different approaches working all together are really able to create something that's bigger than um, just one direction. Mm -hmm. Totally. I'm very curious because you already mentioned uh, this organization that you're part of, Model Mafia. And I would be super curious if you can elaborate on it a little bit more. And you mentioned that it's not only 
about um, sustainability in the industry, but also models' rights. And there are probably many issues that models face in this business. So I would be mm -hmm. surprised if you can tell us a little bit more about it and what exactly you work on. Definitely. I mean, there are a lot of issues for sure. Um, I think I, I was I was lucky because I did, as I said, enter the industry quite late and also kind of with a business background, which means that I, you know, I know how to read a contract. I know that there are certain things to look out for. I know that I need to manage my own budgets and do my taxes. And even so, I found it incredibly complicated because for the first time I was self-employed. And there's, I mean, as a model, you are a business, like you run your own business and you need to think that way. But the issue is that most models, they start so young, they, they really have no idea. Um, and they're not informed about these things. They're not informed at all about what, what to even look out for in a contract. So, I mean, it's good. There is slowly some change coming into this industry, but most of the models that I'm close with in the Model Mafia group, um, they are my age, which means, or a little bit older, a little bit younger, but it means most of them have been in this industry for over 10 years. Most of them start as a teenager and some of them at least have um, on the side, either taken a break to go to university or they've studied alongside of modeling. Um, but it used to be the case that, you know, if you were one of the select few that gets kind of plucked out and placed into the big wide world as a teenager, I mean, you're a child, you often don't have the support that you need because you're self-employed. You're never an employee of the agency. They only are the ones who will, you know, push you to the client, provide you the job. They do take care of each individual um, client contract, which is carefully negotiated, the usage rights of the pictures, how long can they be used, on which platforms can they be published. But there isn't the personal support network that any other job, you have colleagues. And on, on a more organizational side, you even have a union representing you, even actors have a union. Mm. Models don't have a space. They don't even have a safe space to discuss complicated issues. For example, I mean, the whole kind of trigger for Cameron and Anya to, to start the model mafia group was around the Me Too movement and the election of Donald Trump, mm -hmm. because there's so much of this stuff in the fashion industry and it just doesn't get talked about. And I mean, it's little things from why is there not always a changing room on set? Why is it expected for a model to undress in front of a team of 12 people and nobody thinks that maybe there should be a changing room over to obviously like the classic scary stories about creepy photographers or, you know, models who believe that they need to behave in a certain way with their agents in order to get pushed to the best clients. And I guess one of the biggest problems as well is that as a model, you tend to usually be in competition with whoever else is there, especially at a casting, you could be 200 girls wanting one job. And you, you know, you don't have this natural space to talk to each other in a constructive way. And, and we just, we really wanted to provide that space and to make it a place where we can gather, we can discuss things that we are concerned about without on one hand, the fear of it reflecting badly on our career on the side of the agency or being concerned that, you know, we are in competition with each other. So maybe we shouldn't be so honest, all of these kind of issues. So we wanted to just provide a place for that to happen. And it also grew just the way that community grows. It's a really beautiful thing. It kind of blossoms in a way that you kind of gain the freedom to 
do other things as well and you can see like oh look this girl she's doing that I could also do this and then you just kind of go from there and I mean we've had incredible things happen we've had we've had TED talks we've had we've we've given a sustainable fashion show at the United Nations we've had somebody speak in court in the U.S about labor rights for models and like there are all these things like payment terms you're supposed to get paid but often you don't and many girls wait for months and months to get paid even though actually there's a law that says if you don't get paid within 90 days you can start actually charging late payment fees but people don't get told so people don't know and it's education it's like you know if if you've signed a contract um you know, you can you can write into the group and say, hey guys, this agency in this country wants to sign me. Can you like check the clauses? Is everything okay? Am I signing me into something that will put me in debt? Mm-hmm. That will like, you know, all of these things. Cause there've been some really bad stories of girls being sent to other countries and then being caught there because they aren't earning money on jobs and the agency is subtracting their costs of living and rent and then then you're in debt so you can't leave which means also that you can't do something else and then it's also just kind of providing like inspiration for what can we do as work as models aside from modeling because it's important every model no matter how successful will have times when there's just less work but because everything's very last minute in modeling you basically have to be able to be extremely flexible in order to when suddenly a modeling job comes up, you can't say, oh, actually, you know, I'm working part-time job. Let me, you know, check if I can change my shift at the restaurant or, Mm -hmm. you know, my part-time office job. Because you can't, because then that employer will think you're unreliable. But as a model, you have to be flexible because that's just how the industry works. So it's just all of these kind of things that we do. And I found it the most valuable and empowering um, space that has made me feel that the industry can be very meaningful actually and not superficial necessarily. And that's really quite powerful. That's amazing. I think (coughs) it's so important. Educating in the end is extremely important. And that's why the work you do there is extremely important because um, education is empowerment and supporting each other. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cameron has said it very well in another interview. She just said like, this is what we do. We educate and empower and inform thousands of young models just on what they need to know and how they can grow it's really back to the whole nurturing thing it's like watering a plant and seeing how it grows it's just a really nice thing makes me feel my older sister vibes because i have a younger sister which i think if she heard me say this she would be like oh my god <laughs> yeah that's amazing okay and um i'm curious in the current job as a model do you get the background of the brands you work with and are you able to choose jobs based on the background of the brand and their level of sustainability as a person who really cares about this or not really? This is a good question. Um, I wish the answer was I can choose. I really, that would be wonderful. But unfortunately, no. Because if I did that, Sure, I would have some nice occasional jobs, but I would not be able to pay my rent and I wouldn't be able to eat food. So I just can't. Um, also, no, there's zero information on the brand itself. I mean, there's actually um, two girls from the Model Mafia group who are um, who have actually founded their own agency in the US. It's called Role Models Management. And basically it is um, focused on working with sustainable brands, um, which is wonderful. We don't have it over here. Um, 
might come like even they might bring it here and they, there can be some clients here also there's an agency here called you booker which was founded by a former model so she really has taken care to structure her um her agency in a way that is more taking care of the correct things so basically you know charging less commission um to the models um and also kind of trying to work with companies that are more um sustainable but overall no we can't choose which brands we work for but we can choose which brands we uh, celebrate which brands we speak about on our social media for example and also it's not even a disadvantage to work for all kinds of brands because normally on a shoot especially if it's a big shoot you'll have the client there or at least somebody from the team so you can start a conversation you can just ask questions and be curious and i really do think that it's not making sense to be very confrontational especially if you kind of have a feeling that maybe it's not part of their um business approach at the moment you don't have to say something like why aren't you guys doing this this is unacceptable because that causes conflict and it causes defensiveness and that's not a productive way forward so the other way to go is to just be curious and to start a conversation and and you never know where a conversation might lead um so or even if it's a smaller brand you could just place the idea in, in the mind of the founder and just be interested and open and not shutting down i think one of the worst parts that has recently emerged kind of through internet is this whole cancel culture that if somebody's done one thing wrong they immediately get boycotted and i think this is probably one of the most unproductive approaches to changing anything because you won't change anything by boycotting somebody i i mean you could argue that you need extreme positions in order to make the mainstream move but it's you know the the extreme one isn't going to change the mainstream so i think it's much better to be a constructive way and to have conversations and at the same time for a model who cares about sustainability we also as models and as people overall we just have this amazing platform through social media where we can speak our own opinions and we we can kind of frame ourselves in our own way rather than only by representation through an agency for example mm-hmm. so for example on my social media i will post my modeling pictures but then for example sometimes if it's a brand that is sustainable i will write about that and i will try to emphasize uh, empathize that emphasize that <laughs> and um i will basically from different things if it's a designer who really has kind of embedded this aspect of sustainability into their business model i'll speak about that if it's literally the fact that they're using linen and i happen to have learned that linen is less bad for the environment than many forms of cotton for example mm-hmm. let alone polyester um or even if it's cotton but it's certified there are these little things you can just use it to talk about and you can use it in a way that's it somehow it reaches people so I, i'm so surprised occasionally when somebody will really write me something that shows that they have read the captions mm-hmm. whereas i often think people only look at pictures and then if i'm lucky they'll read the caption but i've really had people who you know properly engaged with things that i've said and it's been even more powerful with the podcast it it can be used for real conversation that has a content and not just a superficiality to it so that's kind of how i think it is sometimes a contradiction as a model who cares about sustainability to be forced to work with brands that are not sustainable obviously my hope is that in the long term that will change but for now i'm sorry but i do need to eat <laughs> and like survive so i can't say no um 
but I can choose which ones I speak about and how and obviously hope to play a small role in moving these things in the overall more sustainable direction. Yeah, so cool. Thank you for addressing those things. And I love what you said about cancel culture and about starting a conversation and how important it is to not be overly only critical, but actually just try to do these little steps and um, mm -hmm. try to... Yeah, it's like constructive rather than destructive. Basically. Yeah, 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 right. And the same is true for conversations with our friends or on social media. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm curious, you made quite a career switch, switch uh, at the age of 27. And can you tell the listeners a little bit about um, what made you take the leap? And is there something you would advise others who are thinking of making a career switch like that? I think it's very hard to choose a career when you're young because you don't even know what you want. And that often leads to you doing jobs based on what other people say. And for me, I used to be very, very um, strongly influenced by what was the kind of job that people in general found to be admirable, education, like proving an education and, and the level of, um, I, I didn't want to say intelligence, but it's like, these kind of prestigious jobs where people will know when you say, oh, I work at a hedge fund or I work at a consultancy, they will just know that there is a certain level of drive and of like commitment. And I always felt a need to prove this to people when I was younger. I especially was very cautious about the world of fashion Because I had this, which I now am 100% on the other side of it. Um, I used to have this preconception that working in the fashion industry is a bit superficial. Now it's changed very much because, first of all, I've realized how extremely influential and how huge this industry is. And also it affects every person. Every person wears clothes. I mean, most people. <laughs> um, so it, it is very um, it is very important, this industry, and, and there are a lot of things that need to be changed. And also, I, I think one of the biggest advices that I would give is to somehow, and it applies not only to career, but to life, to learn to listen to the gut feeling. It sounds so cliched, but somehow... Well, listen to the gut feeling and also be willing to experiment and change because the path can be very twisted and it can lead you in some false directions before bringing you back to the correct directions. And if, as, as long as you're always kind of connected to what feels right, it will end up guiding you to where you should be. So when I started my career, I was working in finance and there was quite a clear idea of how the career would progress and what is the goal in sight. And it just, at some point, I, I loved it. I learned so much, but at some point it didn't feel right anymore. And at the time I was very much unaware of listening to this feeling. So I continued and continued and continued in a job that was really kind of sucking my soul out in a way. Um, because I didn't know what it can feel like to have a career where you don't have that feeling because it was my first job. And eventually I left and the next job that I did, well, I briefly worked for an NGO in between, but that was kind of more of a detox. And then when I went back into the corporate career, I found it intellectually until today, probably the most interesting job I've ever had. But the feeling again was telling me, you know, this is not, This is, it is talking communication in, in different aspects, but I was always wishing and trying to find this in a industry that I actually personally care about. Because I think it's a lot easier to tell a story about something that you care about than about something that you happen to be staffed on a client project. So yeah, then, then I left that and then I was unsure and it just kind of, 
happened by coincidence with modeling and then also in some way not coincidence but serendipity or whatever one might call it luck but also not only luck it's also where you place your conversations and your interactions with with other people leads you to meeting people who inspire you and i think that's really the core it's about surrounding yourself with people who lift you up and who bring you forward and who push you forward sometimes and who also give you um, opposite opinions. And I was just very lucky that I met the model activist group. And then I found this whole world of sustainability that I wasn't even aware of. And then I now for the first time in my life have found this niche of an industry and I love it and I'm passionate about it and it no longer feels so much like work. Um, even though when I'm not modeling and I'm working on my sustainability focused things and the podcast and the research that goes around it, it is a laptop, it is reading things, it is writing and deadlines and all the stuff that felt quite heavy in my old job that now no longer feels heavy because I really love it. So yeah. Yeah. Very cool. It's hard to give an overall advice. It's very individualized. But I think if, as long as you're open-minded and you listen to your gut feeling, it won't do you wrong. Yeah, thanks for that. I couldn't agree more, especially about listening to our intuition. And it's crazy at what an early age we're actually made to choose a career when yeah. fact, our intuition uh, becomes much better with the passing years and with age. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, thank you for normalizing switching careers because I think this <laughs> is so important. More I mean, you, you have to be like, you have to be willing to start again. You have to be willing... You know, if you've been on one direction and then you restart, you kind of have to go back to the bottom of the chain and start again. And I think it takes some um, humility and you can't be led so strongly by your ego because if you're led so strongly by your ego, then you will not be willing to go back to being a beginner in, in, in things in general. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know it's 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 to do with fear and bravery and yeah humility in in a funny way mm -hmm. yeah and um switching back to one's own fashion choices um is there something that you would advise others who want to have a more sustainable wardrobe um well for me it became quite simple when I discovered the amazingness of vintage shopping. So basically it's not necessarily that you have to go to all of the little shops and dig through piles of clothing, although that's actually an excellent exercise because it just shows you how much clothing is wasted and people don't wear it. I think there, there are two things and one of them I'm just very fortunate because it kind of reflects back to the way that I was raised. So um, at home, my mother is, first of all, an amazing woman. Second of all, very stylish woman. And she really, from a very young age, raised me and my sister with these values of really taking care of what we have and always fixing things and not that something breaks and you just throw it away and get a new one because she had all of these beautiful things, for example, some very also nice designer things that she had when she was working in her first jobs. And, and she still had them when we were growing up and she ha still has them now. And for us, it was always like the biggest thing to look forward to one day, you know, if we take care well of our things and we prove to her that we, we do know how to take care of our things, maybe we'll get to, you know, wear her vintage Chanel bag or, or the blazer that's just so perfectly tailored because they used to just do these things so much better than nowadays. This is one thing. It's, um, you know, if you're lucky to be able to get things from your family, that's great. But everyone also has friends. So you can switch 
floating with your friends. And I used to actually do this when I was at university because I also couldn't really afford. For example, if we had a party, I just couldn't buy a new dress every time. I literally didn't have the money. So, and my friends would have dresses and they've already worn them to a party. They don't want to wear the same dress to the part next party. So then we would switch. And then it's as if you have this whole new wardrobe, but you haven't even bought anything. Um, so that can be fun. Um, it is actually super fun to organize a clothing swap. Um, <laughs> and finally, I mean, there's so many great platforms, resale platforms on the high-end side. You have Vestier Collective, which I love because it is high-quality stuff and it is very quality-checked. There's another... Um, uh, a French resale. Ooh, I can't remember the name. I'll tell you later, which I love as well. Mm-hmm. And there is things like Vinted, which is can be very good. Um, you can find great things there and also for a very good price. You need to search through a little bit to make sure that it's... Um, you know, there, there's also some random things there where you just think like, what, what, <laughs> what is this? Um, but there is some good stuff amongst those as well. And to be honest, I just love actually, if I'm in a new city with my sister, oftentimes we'll, we'll check out the vintage stores. And, and I find that when you think about clothing that's been worn before, obviously held in a good condition, it has a story. It's just like if you go traveling and you bring back something from your travels and then you have it in your house and you're like, hey, this was, I don't know, something that I picked up when I was, I don't know, a, maybe a shell on the beach in Colombia. Yeah. It reminds you of things. And if you are wearing clothes that are from somebody else and they've been taking well care of you can imagine the stories like what has this coat seen this coat has seen more than i've seen maybe this coat is older than me and maybe it's traveled to a place i've never traveled to so i love kind of imagining that um it's it's fun it's storytelling again so cool totally (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I'm curious, you've had so many conversations with um, fashion brands founders, but also you meet a lot of brands at your job. And mm-hmm. I'm curious, what do, you, what do you think is the way forward for the fashion industry with regards to sustainability in the next, let's say, five years? What are the big trends, things that are going to change? Mm, I think there are quite a few changes happening now um it's about time that they're happening and i think it's great to see that there's momentum growing in both directions especially from the consumer side that there's simply a growing demand for sustainability in all aspects especially in the fashion industry I've found recently, but also in, in food, in travel, in investments. I mean, back to my old job in finance, like these things on on um, environmental um, governance um, guidelines for investments. It applies to a lot of different things. And I think the customer in the end does have a lot of power to make a change and to demand change. I think a big risk is this whole concept of greenwashing because brands have started to realize that customers do want this and only some of them are really deeply looking into changing their business practices. And I'm fully aware that it's extremely hard, especially for a big conglomerate with very long and complex supply chains to really make these changes quickly. Many do have the resources to make these changes, but maybe they don't really have the commitment or the leadership within the firm. So it is a process, but it's great to see also very large companies, H&M being a great example, actually, um, really investing in innovation. Where big firms are at the forefront because they have the budgets. also like seeing things such as this whole concept of the environmental profit and loss account 
-hmm. which was actually started by um, Jochen Sachs of uh, Puma back in the day. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of went to the caring group. And there are so many um, sub companies of caring, which now also report on their environmental impact. So the whole concept of environmental profit and loss is that you do your normal accounting, like P&L accounting as any company does every year, but then you also add this triple bottom line of um, environmental social impact and you calculate the monetary value of your environmental costs. And I think kind of internalizing these environmental costs on a business perspective can also be incentivized by government. So, I mean, from starting with carbon trading initiatives over to things like um, in Germany, for example, there's a new law about supply chain transparency. And this is one of the core issues in fashion is this complexity and length of supply chain. So this is on the big brand side. On the small brand side, it's exactly doing these things. So it's making sure that sustainability is really part of the business model of the company. It's making sure that you really think about all of the aspects. So from shipping and logistics over to production and tracing every step of the supply chain all the way to the farmer in the field who's growing your cotton or whatever material you're starting with. Yeah. And it's really kind of making sure that this concept it's not, it's, it's moving away. And I think COVID has helped with this overall. Um, less consumption, less overproduction, and also taking these ideas of circularity very seriously. So it's about making a product when you're designing it, you think about what's going to happen to it after you're done. So either you feed it back into the system or it can be repurposed easily into something else, or it's made of a material that's biodegradable. But basically, before you start, you think about the end, and then you think about how can it close the loop and move back to the start. Um, and I do think that COVID has helped a lot of people realize that they really don't need that much. And in that sense, how do you think COVID is going to shape the industry in the long term? Well, I'm, I'm very hopeful. I don't know if some people might say I'm naive, but I do think that this is kind of an inflection point and things will change because they have to change. And seeing it in the industry, in the beginning especially, there was an actually great interview with Claire Press, who is the Vogue sustainability editor, on um, the effects of COVID on garment workers in Bangladesh. Mm. And one of the fundamental problems is the way that the whole um, setup is structured. So a brand will order um, probably anyway too high minimum order quantity from the factory. The garment workers will start to produce the items, but the payment actually only has to get processed once the garment has arrived in the country of, of the, of the um, brand. So what happened with COVID was everything got shut down. I mean, not only did the retail and the shops shut down, but also the factories got all of these cancellations for orders that had been placed in previous time, but the garment workers had already been working on producing them. So then in retrospect, the brands were trying to not pay them. Mm. They'd already done. And it really, and you're a garment worker, you're earning like one sixth of even minimum wage or, or less. Yeah. Um, if you're lucky that your factories break down like in Rana Plaza, killing thousands of people. Um, but basically, this system is very broken. And there is a lot that needs to be changed. And I don't know if it will change fast enough. But I do think that I mean, we've even seen crazy industry shifts happening. I mean, one of the stalwarts and stars of fashion in the UK, Topshop, yeah. has now been bought out. There are like big changes that are happening. Um, and COVID, I, I, I really genuinely hope that 
the kind of reduction and slowdown in terms of consumption that COVID has forced upon us is um, going to be something that lasts. I really don't know, but I really strongly hope. Then also in terms of actual modeling work and production, I mean, it's been very awful for modeling um, these months. Um, but one thing that has changed, and it's actually absurd that it even went on for so long, is this idea of you're doing a photo shoot, maybe you're in, in Europe and it's cold, so you just fly an entire team to South Africa because you want the beach in the picture. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why? First of all, why do you have to fly an entire team over? Second of all, if you really want to produce there, why don't you get local production rather than flying the team over? And yes, I get it. Like, you want to get a specific model. And, you know, obviously, this is my job. I appreciate that somebody is willing to pay to fly me somewhere, put me in a hotel just so that they can have my face for their brand. Like, it's a great honor. But it's also very illogical. And I think that what has happened, because... Brands have continued producing beautiful content. Magazines have continued producing beautiful editorials. They've just started looking around a little bit more outside of their front door. And if you're a great photographer and you have good equipment, if you find a beach on the coast of England on a somewhat sunny day, okay, maybe this is hard in November in England, but still you can find, and you can light it well. If you want it to be outdoors, if you light it, you can make it look like it's warm. And as a model, we are used to being shooting summer clothes in winter and winter clothes in summer anyway. So we're kind of used to being freezing. Um, so we will be fine. The rest of the team can wear a big coat. And um, we can find ways to produce shoots that are more sustainable in that sense. Plus... um, shooting in a studio that can be everywhere so you don't need to really fly the whole team um there's this is also the reason why obviously there's some hubs for the industry because you will have for example in london not only a lot of brands are here but a lot of the world's best photographers stylists makeup artists so yeah i think that is a change i'm hoping will last as well although I'm not going to lie I I deeply love the aspect of modeling that allows you to travel and to see the world yeah and again back to cancel culture like I I also don't want to you know present myself to the world as a person who's like the queen of sustainability I also think that everyone needs to make exceptions sometimes it's just important to be mindful of it and to not make the exceptions the norm but to keep them as exceptions and then it's okay like if you buy vintage um most of the time i'm sorry i'm never gonna buy vintage underwear it's just not gonna happen similarly i love to travel i love to see the world i know that flying is extremely bad for the environment i know that i can try to carbon offset my flights but it's extremely expensive and I don't want to be like the perfection person who has no joy in my life just because I'm really trying to be so, so straight on all of these things. So exceptions, I think, are important as long as they stay exceptions and they don't become the norm. Yeah. You can, you know, yeah, just be, be also kind of kind with yourself as long as you're making the overall effort to move in the right direction. Yeah, that's so important. And indeed, um, I agree with you. It's about making small changes and just making sure we keep um, questioning how we do things, how we used to do things, and then making the Mm -hmm. changes once in a while. And I think the last year definitely made us question so many things about our life. So totally. My last question has to do with mindfulness and I wonder Janice do you have a mindfulness practice or a book recommendation anything that keeps you grounded and keeps you minded in your business in your work in your daily life I would love you to share it with our listeners Sure um so basically 
I, this is one of, one of those things where I wish I could say always I meditate every day, but I don't. I, I go in phases. So sometimes I will use an app and this app is called Headspace. I've been using it for a very long time. I even started using it before they started making people pay for it. <laughs> and now I don't always subscribe to it because I don't always feel like paying for it. But I think it's very helpful um, to have this app to help guide in terms of meditation. Then um, I just think a lot of mindfulness in my life, it just comes with the way that I engage with myself and my body. Obviously, as a model, I do have to make sure that I'm somewhat healthy. I'm very lucky to have agencies who are very much supportive of my body being on its natural shape. Um, but I know also that I feel good if I do sports. So I'm also not a super sporty person. I, I love skiing in winter. Um, that's my number one sport. Um, I also do yoga um, on YouTube because I don't want to pay for <laughs> anything more than that. But there's great yoga out there. And obviously with yoga comes mindfulness as well. And then I think a lot of mindfulness actually comes in with everyday life. So it can be um, from the food that you eat. So there is some, that is one thing where I really try to look at ingredients that are um, organic and locally grown, ideally. Um, my, my biggest go-to pleasure is avocado, <laughs> which is bad for the environment and is definitely not locally grown if you live in London mm. um, but I do try to focus on that wherever I can and um, yeah I just try to kind of take moments moments each day to just it, it can be as simple as just taking a few breaths and re reminding yourself what you're actually doing and, and why and especially if you get feeling yourself getting frustrated about something to just you know take a step back and um, and refocus And for me, another aspect of mindfulness, which a lot of people don't share, is that I, um, I'm Christian and I have my faith, which is something that's helped me very much in like difficult times of my life. Um, but in terms of an everyday mindfulness practice, it's much more kind of what I was mentioning before. Yeah, so cool. Thank you so much, Janice. It was super insightful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you for this conversation. Thank you so much. And thanks so much everyone for joining and listening in. I really appreciate you being here. Follow Janice on social media, follow Model Mafia and Unconscious Conversation. I'm gonna leave all the links in the show notes. Reach out to me on social media and tell me what else do you want to hear on this podcast and talk to you next time.